Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill building courses for you to choose from because the steps that you choose to take today will help you to love what you do in the future. And that's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. I'm Matt. Today, we're talking budgeting like a beast with Jesse Meekum. That's right, Jesse Meekum. He is joining us on the podcast today, and we are going all in on budgeting. I'm guessing there's a number of folks listening who might recognize his name, but I'm guessing even more folks are familiar with the company he started back in 2003 while he was still in college. You need a budget, uh, or YNAB, as it's commonly known, what we call it. Millions of individuals have now used YNAB to get on a budget, which has allowed them to achieve their life-changing financial goals. And so whether that's simply paying off debt or the complicated endeavor of getting on the same page as your partner. That's difficult. Uh, Jesse has likely thought more about budgeting over the past 20 years than anyone else out there. So we're excited to talk with him about all the things that he's learned and observed. Jesse, thank you for joining us today. I am so glad to be here. Thanks, guys. Jesse, we're glad to have you. And the first question we ask everyone who comes on the show is, what's your, what do you like to splurge on? We call it your craft beer equivalent because Matt and I, we spend more money than most people would think is normal on craft beer because we love it. But we're happy to do that because we're saving and investing well for the future while we're spending a lot of money on beer. So what do you, what do you spend a lot of money on that maybe people might think is kind of crazy? Yeah, I I wouldn't mix beer and what I spend a lot of money on, but uh, I would say my my wood shop. Oh, there is, it is a it is a money pit, <laughs> and the, there's always another thing you can buy. Uh, I'm I'm currently in the shop for a floor and or in the market for a, like a floor standing variable speed drill press. Yeah. So what are you making in this wood shop? Are you making like canoes, Ron Swanson style? What are you doing? I, if I had the skills of Ron Swanson, I would have arrived. But um, <laughs> I, he's in real life. He is a killer woodworker. That's yes, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like making like beautiful handcrafted canoes. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. So yeah. Anyway, my I, I have his book here actually called "Good Clean Fun" by uh, Nick Offerman. It's it's excellent. But um, the yeah, I will make anything. But right now, I, I'm working on shop furniture. Like I'm because you can kind of learn. You, you mm. Like it's if it's if it looks bad, it doesn't matter because it's all in your shop. So I'm learning yeah. a lot of the basics. I'm I'm taking like a general like basic woodworking course where they go through all the different joinery, kind of the the foundational joinery. And I love just being a novice. So That's I cool. I have a shop that looks like I'm a professional and I am a novice. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I just I think it's fun to get the new tools. So whenever I can squeeze it into the old plan, I do it. Very nice. So are you pursuing this? purely out of just with it, you know, with it being a passion as, you know, as oh, yeah. an interest, not something that you foresee being able to sell, you know, fine. Oh, I would have ruined crafted. it. 
Okay. There you I don't go. want to ruin my hobby by monetizing. <laughs> He's going to open up like so. a Woodside stand. And just, people are going to be like, "I'm not paying for that." Chair. It's, yeah. it Jesse, Jesse might get so good that folks are saying, "Please let me buy that." that <laughs> Maybe that beautiful. I will give. Chair. I will gift it to them. I will. Oh. But I, I refuse to transact in this I hobby. I don't want to taint it. Don't take. <laughs> don't ruin <laughs> so, it, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Well. Let's kind of start talking about money, not just the wood. Uh, but so unlike most folks, it, it sounds like your parents actually had like a positive influence on you when yeah. it comes to uh, getting you started down the path of uh, personal finance. How is it that you first started learning about money? So I, uh, I, my parents modeled it well. They modeled frugality well, I will say. Um, they were really good at just saying, we don't have money for that. We're not going to spend money on it. We, we lived, I mean, we were, you know, middle class but um, we lived below our means as far as I could gather uh, as, a, as a kid and kind of observe. So they were just very, very frugal. I used to think that the word vacation meant driving 10 hours to grandma's house. I didn't know that there were other <laughs> options besides just driving up there and then literally one time starting to read the encyclopedia at A. I got to Abacus. I didn't make it very far, but like I just bored on my vacation. So that, I mean, that's just what we did and I didn't know any different and it was great and they were loving and so you can't complain at all. But one thing that, that my dad in particular did is I think I was 14 and he said, Hey, you should read these books. And so he didn't just say, I want to teach you about money. He was just like, you might find these interesting. And he gave me a couple. He gave me um, Ramsey's book that was Financial Peace. And I think now the Total Money Makeover is kind of their, his more flagship book. But Financial Peace was the one that I read. And Ramsey taught me not to like debt at all, to hate debt even as a 14-year-old. And I thought, okay, that sounds good. And then he gave me The Millionaire Next Door, uh, another great one to kind of learn. Like it's not about what you see, but it's about what's kind of under the covers a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And then the final one was The Richest Man in Babylon, which is probably my favorite overall, just those principles, uh, approachable. It's the same first one I would give, you know, I give my kids when they are like, hey, I want to learn something. I don't want to sit down and teach them. I just want to say, well, here's a book. And I think as a kid, it's easier to learn sometimes from someone else. And so I think it was wise of my dad just to say, well, hey, learn it from these, you know, from these books. And um, it formed a lot of my early opinions. Some of them have developed over the years a little differently, but it was early informative, and I am forever grateful that I I had um, a disdain for debt early on and avoided it in college because of that, yeah. and that I saw early on that I should start with uh, start with investing and get like an early jump on it. So, uh, yeah, I will be forever grateful for the to the uh, authors of those books and to my dad for giving them to me. Well, you talk about modeling, your parents modeling the right behaviors, but then not being the ones to necessarily preach it at you, you know, over and over. And I think that's really important because I think modeling goes the farthest, then let someone else do the preaching. And maybe that's the best combo. And it's interesting, you, you mentioned your kids too. You've got seven kids, yeah. I, I, which is uh, as much as Matt and I have combined. A, Matt's got four, I've got three. Our kids in order. We got to catch up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you need a spreadsheet to run that many kids. Basically. Right, right. So you guys would be fine, but uh, well, yeah, we. Yeah. It's easier for us. I've got yeah. family of five. He's got a family of six. But you got it. You got a massive family. So how does that? How has that uh, impacted your? Did that like make you feel like you needed a budget? Obviously, you started your journey even before that. But have you found it to come in even more handy having yeah, I mean, that big of a family? Well, honestly, the first, the thing that made me and my wife's name is Julie, that, that made us feel like we had to really be careful early on was we were, we were dirt poor and uh, we were both in school and just eking by and then we were going to get married. And so combining these meager finances together, it doesn't do any, there's no synergy there. You're just like, okay, now we both make, I mean, there was just no win. And we were actually paying more in rent than we would have been as single kids. Anyway, so I'm just like, man, Julie, we gotta be really careful. So we get married, I build this little spreadsheet that later became YNAP, but at the time it was just for me and for Julie and we start watching everything really close. But the thing that pushed me to say, hey, maybe I could sell this spreadsheet was it had worked for us for that year. We were able to start saving money. And then um, we saw that a baby was coming. It was, it was planned, but we were still not making a lot of money, like 10 bucks, you know, 11 bucks an hour, and trying to get through school. And so to have a baby inbound, mm. that was what made us think, okay, we gotta try and figure out some way to let Julie exit the workforce uh, and have me be able to try and balance maybe earning some side money and finishing up school. So the the push of 
of providing for kids, oh, that was what gave us that, oh, yeah. that, that drive. And so I'm grateful for it. It's not fun in the moment, but it does kind of squeeze the creativity out of you at times. Yeah. yeah. So, it's kicking know, the pants. Yeah. Forces I'm grateful you. Yeah, for nothing, it. Yeah. Nothing like another human being being dependent <laughs> on your ability to manage yeah. your own finances in order to provide for them. Yeah. Uh, so that certainly <laughs> can be that, like you said, Joel, kick in the pants, but like, what would you say, Jesse, to folks who or otherwise than just repulsed by the idea of making a budget. Essentially, I, w- I would love t- for you to maybe make a case for budgets for those out yeah. there who don't necessarily feel like it's something they need to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even like the word budget. I wish that our company was named something really, f- I don't know, fancy. Like, it sounds like a perfume, maybe. I don't know, <laughs> something different. Because people, they, they hear the word budget and they think restriction, yep. no more fun, diet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it, it like everything's just going to kind of bear down on them. And maybe their their spouse or significant other tells them, hey, we need a budget. And then it's like double worse. It's like, okay, not only will we be a budget, but you're going to be running the budget and I'm going to be the one that's making all the mistakes and just nothing is good about it. So a, a budget is really, it's just a plan. And all we really care about is that people are intentional with their money. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the end of it. We want people to love how they spend their money instead of having their spending just stress them out, strain their relationship, suck the fun out of everything. I mean, people are so worried about a budget taking the fun out of life, but they will go on vacation with this like this low burn, like kind of simmer in the back of their mind as they're racking up credit card debt. They're just like, I know this isn't good. I know this isn't good. And so I'm trying to say, well, maybe try the thing where you save up for the vacation and you actually <laughs> get to spend money guilt-free. So a budget's just a plan and it's, it's your plan and you get to make it however you want. But if it means that if you have to do a budget in order to have a pile of intention kind of like rising up behind your money, then that's, that's what we want and that's what we're going to call it. We, right. You got you to love how you spend your money. If you feel guilty about it, there's a problem, right? If you're arguing with your spouse, it means there's a problem. And so we want to get that spending lined up with your real priorities. And then, man, you're off to the races. That, that's yeah. when money becomes fun. And <laughs> I don't know. I can't imagine any other way. So did we just rename you need a budget to you need a money plan? Why amp? <sighs> something like that. Or, or the clone thing. I could yeah. just, I could, you know, mystique or something. I don't know. Okay. Like All right. That. Well, yeah, yeah, you let me know when you're ready for that rebrand. I'm, I'm curious to hear how it, how it shakes Joel's out. Joel's a fan of cool water, I think, when he <laughs> right. was in middle school. So. Tracar, yeah. Noir, maybe? That was a good one. Uh, well, Jesse, some folks in the financial independence community, they're just super naturally frugal, right? And so yeah. they would say, I am intentional with my money, but I don't feel like I need the budget part. And so based on what you just said, I, like, what would you say to someone like that who says like, I'm, I'm handling things pretty well. I've got a huge gap between incoming and outgoing. Mm-hmm. I'm investing a lot for the future. Like, do I need to sit down and actually like mess with the numbers every single month or every other week? Yeah, I uh, no, no, they don't. If, if they're, if you're have some massive gap between, you know, money in and money out and the net worth keeps climbing, even if the market's doing what it's been doing, especially, uh, then you're good to go. You have a plan and the plan is working because the score that we're keeping is net worth. And especially I would say the score is how much you are sending to your investment pile. Not so much fluctuations in the market. You can't totally control that. But Mm -hmm. the fact that you're, you're, you know, you got a big shovel and you're flinging tons of money over the wall into that retirement bucket, you're winning. So I, I wouldn't change a thing. Now for someone that's like, Hey, Jesse, um, my net worth, it's, you know, I'm not really saving a ton, but I know that I'm frugal. Then I'd be like, mm, no, or they say, or, or they like, I already <laughs> know like how much, yeah. They're like, I already know how much I spend. I'm like, no, or I, I, I know that I just, I eke by anyway. So I already am tight. I don't need to look. That's all just ways of saying like, I don't really want to be aware or I'm actually unaware or I think I'm aware and I'm not all those things. We want to make sure we iron out. So, but for the person that like literally their money just keeps growing and growing. Yeah. You, you, you hit it. You're, you're doing it. You just don't, you aren't super granular in your plan for your spending, but you're, you're nailing it on those big, big movers, you know, those big goals. Then yeah, you're, you're good to go. I wouldn't have you change a thing. I don't want to say those people are unicorns, but they're not as, it's just, 
I'm not worried my market's going to disappear by just, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's maybe 1% of the population that really sure. is in that is in that um, realm of, of managing their finances. But yeah. I do think it's important to mention that, that some of those folks is, exist and they might not need a budget in the yeah. same way that most now, people do. Now, if I could interject one more thing, um, someone that's, uh, you know, Elon, Bezos, these massively wealthy people, they still hopefully, with all of those resources, hopefully are being extremely intentional with all of that value that's there. Mm -hmm. So when when you have someone that's like, I make tons, Jesse, I don't have to worry about it, I would kind of turn around and say, listen, man, you you have been gifted this, you've worked for it, however you wanna say this came into your possession, you have something tremendously valuable in this world. Let's not be so cavalier and mm -hmm. so flippant about yeah. the fact that you have this massively useful resources that could potentially be uh, you know, deployed to have some great effect in the world. And I'm not even meaning, hey, you know, shame on you for not giving it away. There are plenty of charities that I'd be like, oh, that probably wasn't a great use of money. If, you know, like, I, I'm no judge of that, but just let's take you and make sure that all of your intention, all of the best parts of you are channeled behind that big pile of money and that yep. it becomes something great and grand. Let's not have it just be frittered away. So yeah. for those that have a fantastic pile of resources, I think it's incumbent on, upon them even more so to be really intentional, really thoughtful, careful yeah. about what they do with it. Yeah, maybe that looks like a budget, but like you said, it's it's having a plan, and I, th I think even those folks would be able to benefit from a plan because you take a Absolutely. high performer and you put them under the direction of an amazing coach, and all of a sudden they're doing stuff yeah, that they yeah. never thought was possible, right? If yeah. making millions came easy to them, well, just think what you could do otherwise. But I like what you said too, like from a at least from an investing standpoint, they're they're kind of knocking it out of the park. But I mean, one of the reasons that, or one of the ways, I guess, my wife and I were able to, Kate and I, that we were able to get on the same page just when it came to budgeting is because we saw it as a way, essentially as a way for us to have some freedom in yes. how it is that we spend our money. Because I think, I mean, my natural tendency might be to not just be frugal, but just to seriously deprive ourselves. And so like what miserly. we saw, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. we, we saw an ability for us to like you said, be intentional with our money, but just we had the freedom to then spend our money in the ways that we said we wanted to, but maybe in practice, we found that to be harder. Yeah, yeah moving absolutely. it from like the head and what we said we're going to do on paper into reality for us was difficult. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's liberating to have the plan allow you to do things. It's weird because you set up the plan, you agreed to it, you wrote it down a week before or whatever. It's weird that we suddenly divorce ourselves from the plan as if it's not us, but it is, but it allows us to kind of push, like defer back to it and say, well, what did the plan say I could do? Oh, right. the yeah. plan said I could buy these fantastically expensive boots that will last forever. And I say that because it's a real example that I'm, I'm in the market for. So splurge again, <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this is, this will be really cool. I'm really excited about this, but push came to shove. If the plan weren't telling me that I actually could do it, I think I would struggle with it because I'm just naturally wired to squeeze, you know, squeeze those dollars. Yeah. So I love that it, it gives you the permission, like you give yourself the permission, but in this indirect way that allows mm -hmm. it to feel a little more free flowing. Yep. Again, I don't know what percentage of the population those natural, ridiculously frugal people are. I think Matt and I might both be those. And and actually making a plan for our money has helped us feel free to spend in the ways that we otherwise would probably yes. not do. And then it's that. really, yeah. it's helped my marriage out because then I'm not like saying no to everything, even though those are things we want to do. But I guess, Jesse, I want to, I want to know more too about YNAB. And you talked about kind of how it started with a spreadsheet that you created just to be able to get by making very, very little money and to help your wife stay at home. But how did it turn into a fintech company and a wildly successful one? I mean, I, I saw at the end of last year, the Wall Street Journal said YNAB was the best budgeting app. Like yeah. that's huge. That's yeah, like, that's awesome. massive. Yeah. yeah. So, so how did it, how did it get to that point? Uh, well, you know, almost 20 years in, you get the Wall Street Journal to write about it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's, like, couldn't you have done that a decade ago, guys? Yeah, like that would have helped a lot. But I've always loved the topic. I've always loved teaching people about it. And I am a teacher at heart. And so we've always had the model. Now the software, the spreadsheet's been long gone as of like, I think 06 or something. But then we had some really, um, you know, some great software that you would download and install and paste a license key for people that grew up without apps and, and whatnot. But then the apps came along and now the web app and so it just keeps the software keeps kind of hopefully keeping pace with what technology is allowing us to do 
but the method behind it it has has always been kind of like the special juice the thing that makes it work Mm so we always say that the software is is second fiddle to the method to the thinking and if someone can take what we teach method wise these four rules and that i'm sure we'll get into later but if they can take that and run with it no matter how they implement it, it'll work really, really well because the method works very, very well. Even though the technology has changed, there are four rules in particular uh, that you wrote down a long time ago. So we're going to talk about those rules. We're going to talk about maybe some... them in stone tablets, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about maybe some just some general budgeting strategy as well. We'll get to all of that right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, let's keep rolling. Let's... Talk about budgeting like a beast. We're still talking with Jesse Meekum. And if there's, Matt, anybody to cover this topic well with us, it is Jesse. It's the guy that's a woodworker who's saving up for some nice right. leather boots it's, to wear in his wood shop. Exactly. <laughs> don't wanna, you don't want to puncture those toes if like some mistake happens or anything like that. But uh, Jesse, you talked about the four rules. You alluded to them before the break. But th- that's where everything starts yeah. when it comes to the YNAP software. Can you give us an overview of the, those four rules and why you think that that's kind of the revolutionary, like Matt said, secret sauce to making budgeting work for people. Yeah. So, I mean, we, I had mentioned earlier that we want people to love how they spend their money and spending is just decision-making at the end of the day. And um, people try and dress it up and make it some other thing that money is different, but it is just decisions. And the, the method that YNAB uh, teaches is four rules that's essentially just to help you make better decisions. So our first rule we call it giving every dollar a job. And what that means is if you decide to spend money on uh, you know tool A, you can't spend money on tool B. If you decide to go out for sushi, you maybe can't uh, also go out for, you know, drinks another day. It's that if I spend here, I maybe can't spend over there. And it's the it's acknowledging that we have finite resources. And while while finance, capital F, large industry, wants you to feel like you have infinite resources and you can spend and swipe and buy now, pay later and all that stuff, uh, they want you to feel like you never run out. But 
you have to acknowledge that you run out because that helps you crystallize what your priorities are and start to make better decisions. So when you operate with a zero-based budget, whether it's with YNAB or any number of other tools that, to, that do that, it's that idea of I, it's finite. So with that in place, you're now weighing your priorities and good decisions come from that. We then move to rule two, where we call it embracing your true expenses. And essentially that's looking ahead and thinking about larger, less frequent expenses, and then dividing those up into more manageable monthly amounts. So I mentioned sushi. It's kind of like me saying, all right, I wanna go to sushi today, but also I'm looking at Christmas that just happened, and I'm saying, oh, well, Christmas is in 12 months or whatever. Is this gonna work? Is Christmas and sushi today going to work? And people don't make, they don't do that kind of calculus. Or it's a lot like if you're standing like, I don't know, in the tire store or something, and your tire just blew, and the guy's there, and he's like, okay, the four tires are gonna be, let's let's pray that they're only like 800 bucks, right? The four <laughs> tires are gonna be $800, and you have the money for the four tires, so you're like, man, I'm feeling good. But it's like a pizza delivery guy walks in too, and he's just like, Jesse, I know those tires are 800, and you have the 800, but don't you wanna spend 100 bucks on pizza for your kids and their friends? and maybe they're friends and just have some, and you're like, uh, no, I absolutely do not want to do that. Not because of all the kids in the house, but because I want to pay for the tires. And so it's this interesting situation where it, with rule one, we're prioritizing, and with rule two, we're prioritizing with future priorities and current priorities, and they're getting equal footing during our decision-making process. So. Faye, my my youngest daughter, I have to refer to my spreadsheet to make sure I get that straight. But Faye, you know, <laughs> Faye, my youngest daughter, she she's like, okay, I want to save up for this Christmas gift for Faye, and I also want to buy this thing right now. And suddenly, you have a really interesting prioritization that's happening. Now, do I sit there? I'm always like, oh, am I going to take a gift from Faye's Christmas? No, of course not. But as you're doing the decisions, you are. And so this idea of future you and current you, and then future Julie and current Julie, we're all sitting at the tail, you know, table together negotiating. And there's one that's like, I want money for tires. Another one's like, I want pizza tonight. And we're weighing that. So between rule one and rule two, decision-making starts to really improve. I'll pause there just in case you guys have questions, but I'm like an automaton. If you put a quarter in me or ask me about the four <laughs> rules, I just kind of go. So I get, yeah, let's go ahead and jump in here uh, before you move on with the uh, additional rules. Because, you know, when you talk about giving every dollar a job, like it makes me think about just budgeting in general, right? Yeah. Like if, if we asked you to define the word budget, I'm curious to hear what you would say because, you know, you did say a plan earlier, but it seems like at the heart of budgeting is the first rule, giving every dollar yes. a job where you are just being intentional uh, when it comes to, like you said, the decisions that you're making. Is Does that seem accurate? Yeah, I think I would say if I were to define, I've never done this before perhaps, but if I were to define it off the cuff, a budget is a plan attached to finite resources. That's it. Given a specific time frame as well, you know, when it comes to embracing those true expenses, because I think a big part of it, those those true expenses is the fact that I think there's so much in our life that feels urgent, that seems yes. urgent. And so oftentimes we're just looking to whatever pops up in front of us and we think, oh, okay, that is now something I have to tackle. That's something we have to spend money on. And it's just about, it's almost about getting in front of that a little yeah. bit and, oh, and it, knowing that it's on its way as opposed to you just reacting to something passively. It's proactively managing those expectations absolutely. and knowing they're going to come down the pike. Yeah, absolutely. It is It is completely and totally proactive. It, you know, If you manage your day the way you manage your money, I'm speaking to the 80% that don't do it well, um, you'd, you'd be a wreck. You know, you're a train wreck. You're just reacting to everything that comes along. And at the end of the day, you're always like, well, geez, I didn't get the important thing done. That happens with, with people's money all the time. They're just, mm -hmm. like we manage time, we're just trying to manage another finite resource that also can uh, essentially travel through time. And we're looking at how our future will look, how our, you know, the current environment looks, and we're trying to weigh that together. It's, it's interesting to do it this way because what we want people to get in their kind of in practice is not that budgeting is where you're forecasting your income. You're saying, I will earn this. I will earn this. We tie it back to the finiteness of their money. And we say, how much is in your checking account right now? Okay. What do you want that money to do before you're paid again? And that question, whether you're making a hundred grand a year, 300 grand, 50 grand, doesn't matter. That question starts to push on 
the priorities and starts to force the decisions. So then you can say, well, okay, I've got all these current needs, but then we get future you to come to the table also. It's like, well, you know, what about in three months when you wanted to go on vacation? You know, do you, do you want to throw some money there? So it's more about allocating, not just for now, but also almost like you're allocating to these different jobs along a timeline. And in that way, you can be be really ready for the future. It's funny too, because people mention when they've started using YNAB for, they've used it for a while, they stop needing the traditional kind of personal finance emergency fund hmm. because they're finding that they are having fewer emergencies because the car tires that wear out, that is an emergency only if you don't have the money. But if you do have the money, it's no emergency at all. Or if the HVAC goes out or property taxes are due, it's whenever we have the money, we never label it an emergency. We're just like, well, now if physical harm is, you know, if there's a fire, okay, yeah, that is an emergency, physical harm. But when there, when the financial uh, ramification can be handled by cash on hand, we're pretty resi- reticent to say like, oh yeah, that was an emergency. Oh no, no, it really wasn't. You know, you, that's true. You had the money. Yeah, and we're planning ahead for some of those known irregular expenses too, like car tires, right? That's, yeah. I don't know, every 50, 60,000 miles, you're going to need new new tires. And so that's something you can kind of start to plan ahead for or a new roof. You know, the, the timeline of a roof is 25 years, but you can see if your roof is starting to get decrepit, yeah. it's not typically this massive unknown. I needed a full roof replacement and I had no idea it was coming. And some of those things that we, we like to categorize as an emergency, but it's usually just a lack of preparation, a lack of planning. Yeah. And okay. But I want to know too, like the, one of the things that we get questions on a lot and we try to answer the best we can is for folks who are paid irregularly, right? Yeah. Folks who work for themselves, they run their own business, or they're a contractor, like, how should they think about budgeting when they're not sure how much money's coming in month to month, whereas yeah. the person who gets paid every two weeks, it's it's so much easier to know exactly how much you're going to have on hand. Yeah. So never, ever, ever budget with money that you don't have on hand. Never forecast. Now, if you want to dream and kind of plan big, and start to say like, oh, what would it be like if I landed these three other clients and I sold these three houses or whatever? Yeah, you wanna do that kind of big picture planning and dreaming, that's cool. But when it comes to decision making about your spending, you only ever talk about money that is in the account, not mm-hmm. that you're going to get, that is there already. So for a variable income person, there's, there's that rule is number one, do not plan with money that you do not have in hand. That's, that's the first. The second rule is because your income is variable, you have to build more buffer. And that's kind of jumping to rule four, but you have to essentially build more runway for yourself, just more breathing room to allow yourself to roll with the fact that it's, it's not, you know, that it is irregular. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I can, I mean, I've been down that road for a years, you know, years and years where we had a very variable income and it just is what it is. So only ever plan with money you have and build more buffer than your friend that's paid every two weeks by the city, you know, and that's just, that's just your reality. But once you do that and you start looking to the future with rule two, and when there are flush months, because variable income, a lot of times people are like, oh, variable income is tricky because when I don't have any money, I'm, I have a problem. They never mentioned how they had a lot of money two weeks ago, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so it is just up and down, up and down. And so when you are flush, when you are like, oh my gosh, honey, we are rich, your first thought is let's celebrate. We landed the big deal, let's celebrate. And yet, cool, do celebrate. But also recognize there are going to be some lean times and do a little bit of like Joseph in Egypt where it's like seven years feast and famine and start to look ahead and say, well, you know what? I'm going to fund half of our mortgage for a month from now. And then three months later, you're like, I'm going to fund the rest of our mortgage for next month. And I might fund half of our mortgage for two months out. And we'll get people that are running YNAB that are on very extremely variable incomes that have funded their kind of their core, you know, must have fixed expenses, they've funded them three, four, five months out because they know that there there can be some lean times. But And I'll just add one little thing, just a pitch for this. When you are operating on a variable income and you've eliminated the variability in your stress level tied to oh, it, 
Yeah. God, life-changing. You're, well, isn't you're, that the biggest reason to make this plan? Like, oh. is, is there anything better? Is, yeah, we want people to get their money together. We want them to be confident in how they handle their money. But the biggest problem when you're not confident with how, how you handle your money and you are living paycheck to paycheck is the stress, the, the rain cloud of stress that hangs over you yeah. every single day and it's weighing you down. Yeah, and it, it makes your decision-making in your business and elsewhere, it, it really has a negative effect on it. You start to be really... Um, you react really quickly. Um, you take clients that you actually don't want. Um, you don't stop jobs that you hate that are low profit because you're just taking anything you can. And we want you to be choosy. We want you to be really selective. We want you to be making the best decision for you and your whole life. And all of that starts to kind of be hurt when we're just so stressed out and so reactive. So those two rules yeah. fix variable income. You kind of alluded to this, but we can, we'll can we give you a chance to get back to rules three and four, but we kind of touched on how that variable income, having more cash in hand, that that's rule four of the four yeah. rules, right? Like you're talking about aging your money. You're, about, you're talking about, like you said, only spending money that you have on hand. And in some ways, like when it comes to that variable income, you're kind of like pushing that money off into the future. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> You know, it's, it's money that you're, you're earmarking for future purchases, like you said, uh, must have things like a mortgage paying for food. So we kind of covered four. What's the third rule that you think is important for folks to keep in mind in order to have a successful budget? Yeah. And what, remember, we're talking about really good decision making. Like It's just a decision making framework to make sure that spending lines up with priorities. And that's where the magic happens. So if we're giving every dollar a job and we're also looking ahead to future dollars and we're giving those jobs and we're weighing our priorities, the third rule, it's interesting that we have to have it be a rule, but we call it rolling with the punches. And it's essentially saying, uh, be flexible. Change your mind if you need to. As new information comes in, change the plan. You, you had alluded to like a coach that can really capitalize on someone with a lot of great raw talent. And there's also the coach that has a really solid game plan. And then as soon as the ball is hiked or the tip off happens or whatever it is, as soon as that happens, the coach is making adjustments. And you're seeing how your opponent is reacting to your plan and you're reacting to that plan and it's this big game of chess, which is another great example of reacting and acting. And so we want the plan that you've set in place, this budget, we want you to be flexible. Rigid budgets break and flexible budgets last a long, long time. Too many people, first of all, they've never budgeted before and so they think that they're just gonna suddenly be this like wunderkind that's gonna be like, ah, oh, I got this <laughs> nailed and you don't. So you wanna give yourself lots of grace. And when we talk about being flexible, give yourself the flexibility to say like, oh, I thought I wanted to do this with my money, but then my friend called me and they said, hey, should I, you know, do you wanna come out to eat? And you're like, yes, I do. So reallocate some money, shift things around, change your priorities a little bit, you're, you're good to go. You, you know, it's like you're planning a beach day and then it starts to rain and you think vacations don't work. You know, we don't like, no, it's just that it's raining. So you just make some adjustments Randy. and keep rolling. Yeah. Okay. So quick follow up here. Would you recommend for folks to revisit their budget every single month and make small tweaks? Is this oh, gosh, like a, yeah. a quarterly thing? I, I say this because I recently, my wife and I had our big end of the year sort of meeting where we look back summit. at our, yeah, yeah. We look back at the past year when we, we, you know, we make some of these larger changes, but yeah, I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on making these adjustments, how often they should be and to what extent. So depending on how much progress you are trying to make and how much room you have between how much you spend and how much you make. So if you have a lot of room in there, then you don't need to be quite as engaged. You don't need to be, you may, it still, still may serve you well, but as people are really trying to transform their finances, maybe they're trying to get out of debt, they're trying to reach some financial goals, they're maybe not in the same spot you all are or your listeners are, they need to be actively in their budget. I mean, a lot of people like to at least weekly sit down and say, okay, where are we at? But when someone is first starting, just be, be in the budget every day. Replace Instagram with scrolling through your categories and being like, this looks good, this looks good. And when you're about to spend money, you want to look at the app and say, well, can I spend the money here? And if you can, spend it joyfully, no guilt, record it, or the bank, maybe will send you the transaction, we hook up with the bank or whatever. But at the end of the day, you want to be actively always kind of reallocating based on how the, the spending is shaping up. As you get more wiggle room in the budget, this becomes less necessary. But if you are trying to make real meaningful progress with your finances, which means real behavior change, the more frequently you are in the app, kind of exercising a muscle that's been dormant for a long time, the better results you'll get. 
Yeah, that makes sense. It's like the longer you've been doing anything, the better you get at it, the yeah. less intense you have to be about focusing on it. Um, I want to ask you too, you just mentioned scrolling on Instagram, which is a problem for a lot of people when it comes to, that could be like a budget buster in their lives. Mm. The rise of buy now, pay later is something oh that we have gosh. talked about a lot on the show. We Tar- hate it. Targeted <laughs> ads. I'm yeah. going to start getting ads for nice boots now. Right, exactly. <laughs> they just <laughs> heard now. us. Yeah, they heard I us know. and they're like, get them, go get them yes, now. Yes, exactly. It's like sick of them, guys. Let's get them to spend some of their money on this stuff. So, so it feels like everything around us is conspiring, leading us towards making worse decisions towards yeah, money outflowing. Do you, do you feel like it's harder for folks to resist impulse spending these days? And do you feel like that's part of what's leading leading to like an inability for folks to budget and to, to come up with a, a good plan for themselves? Yeah, yeah it absolutely is. It's uh, and I, I don't like um, framing it as like uh, you're you know, you're a victim of the, the, the man, the system is out to get you. At the end of the day, I, I have to side on the on the side of take responsibility, take action. You can control your situation. You can change because anything else would be a disservice to a person that desires change, right? Mm, Um, So you can change, you can do this. Now, conspiring though, I love that word because I mean, I'm a profit-seeking business owner just like everyone else. And all of these, all this financialization of everything is for profit. And you can say it's good or evil or whatever you want, but it just is. So... It, knowing that they're kind of out to get you does help you maybe feel a little bit of motivation to be like, oh, no, you don't. And a little bit of like <laughs> some gumption yeah. that might come along. So totally. that could be helpful. But you also want to make sure that when you do want to spend the money that you enjoy it. So I don't want to I don't want people to to associate spending as bad. It's not. It's yeah. just mm. spending when it's out of alignment with what you really want that's that's where we we don't want to have all the misses yeah. Yeah. and I, again that's where the craft beer equivalent for us that's something we talk about all the time on the show that is something we hammer home like yeah. find the things that do move the needle for you because it, there are there's, there's a lot of deprivation mentality in the personal finance space and we don't want to contribute to that yeah jesse i'd love to hear your thoughts on lifestyle creep as well because like as individuals make more money like mm-hmm. i think it's it's fine to use some of that to like give some folks more breathing room to spend, to maybe not have to revisit their budget quite as often. Uh, but it can also be a slippery slope, mm-hmm. right? And so like, how do you want people to react, say, when they get a pay raise, when they see their income go up? How would you encourage folks, uh, going back to a word that you've already said, prioritize how it is that they spend? Yeah, I, I, I wish I had a better answer for this. It's no different. Like if you get double the money, all of a sudden you just got a sweet raise. I mean awesome high five like let's this is awesome you know so you just got to go back and say okay how much you know what does this money need to do before i'm paid again and now you have more money and so you think well what does this this money need to do before i'm paid again i i don't like the phrase lifestyle creep i used to use it all the time it's one of those things i mentioned early on where it was like oh you know you should just always be spending less and lifestyle creep makes it sound like it snuck up on you um, it just kind of it like it sounds creepy and that seems negative. So um, I don't like anything about it. I think when people are talking about lifestyle creep, they're really talking about the the slow, almost imperceptible misalignment of spending and priorities. And with yeah. that, I'm like, I'm on it. Like, yes, let's get rid of that. But if you're saying, hey, Jesse, you make I don't know how much more than when Julie and I when we first started YNAB. I mean, we gosh, I don't even know, guys, 10, 20, 30 times more. I mean, it's in some insane amount. Are you saying that I still should be living in the same basement apartment that gave us respiratory issues the whole time? <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, no, no, that's okay. You you know, but we just don't want lifestyle. Where do you draw creep. the line? Yeah, yeah it's like, yeah. where is that line drawn? Well, I'm not going to draw the line for your listeners or for you guys. There and you it's up to everyone to, especially when you're sharing finances, you two hand in hand, you know, you grab the Sharpie. Actually, it's not a Sharpie. It's something erasable. And you draw the line together and then you recognize that you're going to revisit it regularly. Every year I promote the idea of a, of a budget burn down, meaning you just, you drop all assumptions. It's like, should we have health insurance? Should we not, you know, of course, get get catastrophic health insurance. Should we yeah. rent or should we buy? Should we have five roommates or should we get rid of our five roommates? Should we get rid of all of our cars? I mean, just burn down every single assumption to kind of start fresh. And it's a way to make sure that this lifestyle creep or misalignment of priorities and spending hasn't happened to you. I mean, it will have happened. Like it happens to all of us 
all the time. Or so, even allows you to rethink what you truly love and what exactly. you truly want to spend money on, right? Yeah. Because we get used to doing things and we, we continue those things in perpetuity. And we might say, wait a second, the second car doesn't matter to us anymore, but the trip to Europe does. Absolutely. And so I want to strip that out. And that's a big, massive change, but probably in reality, the same amount of money that you're going to spend in a year. So I think that's a really, yeah, really cool concept. Yeah, Jesse, I want to hear your updated thoughts on debt because you just talked about how some, you talked at the beginning about reading Dave Ramsey and how maybe that influenced your view of debt. But I wonder if that's changed. We'll, we'll get to a couple questions on that with Jesse Meekum right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back. We are talking about just the different ways that you can budget, different strategies to take, whether or not you are using a specific software or not. Uh, and, and Jesse, just before the break, Joel brought up debt. Let's, let's talk about that. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on credit cards specifically, right? Just because, I mean, you know, you're massively pro-budget. Does that mean you are anti-credit card? What is the, uh, what's the YNAB approach to credit cards? Yeah, so um, I'll start with the YNAB approach first. We are uh, agnostic as to the spending instrument you use. Now, that means that we've done our best in the software to create a system where a credit card acts like cash. Because we've talked a lot about finite resources, and a credit card lets you not acknowledge finite resources. And people can say all they want about, uh, well, I do this and I always pay it off. But at the end of the day, you are spending money and it's not money you have. Now, you could say, oh, no, it's in the checking account. But the cash has not left your system yet. So you, you just straight up. That's how it is. Now, what we've done in YNAB is tried to make it act like cash where if you spend on the credit card, 
let's say 100 bucks for groceries, um, no cash left to your system, but we take $100 from your grocery category and we move it to your credit card payment category. Nice. So that when that, you know, when the credit card's due or whatever, it's on auto pay if you're doing it well, uh, it just, the cash is there. So we've done our best to say, hey, this, this, is, this is like cash, treat it like cash. Now, if someone's coming off of a lot of credit card problems, I say just don't use them for a while. Like, hey, yeah. that they bit you already. Like, let's not let's not mess with those for a while. They are more complicated than just swiping with a card and having money go out. Um, yeah, the so psychological element. For absolutely, sure. the reconciliation is more complicated. The bank transactions come in and do weird things. Sometimes a refund will hit, and it hit from. It hit two months before, and you'll see the refund go back, and so you'll be sitting there with your software like, what happened? It makes it more complicated. That's bit me in the past. So I say that all to be like, we're trying to get the credit card to not be a credit card in our system, which is funny, which just tells you how negative they really are because we're trying to, well, I don't know, whatever the opposite of negate is, this negative thing. And um, that's just, it's telling. My personal experiment this year, and this is this is early days, but I um, I didn't cut our, our credit card or whatever. I threw it in a drawer, but I moved all of our spending off of what was basically our primary spending card for Julie and I, and we are using our debit cards. My hmm. theory, my theory, and I don't care about the rewards or the points. Like, there's one way to tell. This is a little bit of a diversion. There's one way to tell if banks like the rewards or don't like the rewards <laughs> and it's that they keep pushing the rewards so it's that sure. they, the fact that they exist they <laughs> exist they exist and that banks are wildly profitable institutions yeah so yeah. you can say oh jesse i'm not a sucker i don't pay those rewards but they still get paid every time you swipe every time you swipe a bank get a banker gets its wings or whatever however that goes <laughs> right so you when when you swipe you are giving the bank money because they get a cut, they get a little cut. And there are a few people that there's a processor that gets a cut, there's a gateway that gets a cut, and there's a bank that gets a cut. And sometimes there's another bank that gets a cut, like the issuer and then the holder, there are, there's weird words for it. But like so many people have their fingers in this pie that's these transaction fees that we all pay, that the merchant pays on our behalf, that we all end up paying because the merchant's paying it, right? If, hmm. if you assume that you're in a fairly competitive market. so. In that instance, we're, we are paying it. So when someone says, well, I get 1% back, well, the bank got more than 1% for you swiping. So they're still totally okay with this. So that's one way to view it is just like, oh, maybe I, maybe that the banks are okay with this, not just okay, but that they love it. So that's one thing. The other thing you could do is say, well, who pays for all of these rewards if it's not me? Well, it's someone that's paying late fees and interest. And so you might approach it from an altruistic sense, which... Honestly, to be totally frank, it doesn't like move me. I'm just like, I'm going to do this because I don't want someone else to have to pay for my reward. It doesn't. But I know a lot of people that for whom that really is the moving factor. And they just say, you know, altruistically, I don't want someone else that's struggling to be paying my reward fees. Also an interesting view. There's a third view that I'm curious about from my year of experiment. And that is, we've always talked about how a credit card is handled in YNAB as if it's a, a debit card, as if it's just cash. So we kind of feel good about it. And so we're like, whenever you want something, you just will adjust the budget to make sure it happens. And if you're using a credit card or not, it's fine. But you're always kind of saying, I want something, I make the budget, allow me to have that thing done. My theory is that the credit card specifically might be upstream and be actually affecting our wants. And this is early for me, so I'm, gonna, I'm putting myself out there in this way, not fully formed thoughts. But if the credit card, if the use of a credit card actually affects your want center, like your dopamine hit center, and there's good research to say that it does, then it's actually affecting your wants, and then you're forcing your plan to adjust to this newly influenced want that came about because of credit card usage. So, oh man, that's like another level, level deeper right there. Yeah, and so I'm just curious about it. So I'll, I'll be back next year or whatever and I'll let you guys know yeah. that I'm like filthy rich now because I don't use a, <laughs> you, know, I, you just You know that's not gonna be the case, but I will say one other, one other win is it's far simpler. It's just far simpler just to have one instrument that you use. Fraud protection on debit cards is as good as it's ever been. So I don't, that one really doesn't hold water anymore like it did you know, 15 years ago. Well, you know, the points guy, if he was to talk to you, Jesse, he'd be like, I guess oh. you just don't want that free trip to Tahiti, bro. Like, you're, what's your problem? You are telling, well, you're talking to a guy that has literally millions of points. 
because okay. <laughs> because we spend in the business where we you yeah. know in business you don't even you can't even have corporate spending without it being on a some kind of a credit system and so even if you try and avoid it, it you you almost can't it's like built into all of your corporate spending employees have cards and things so yeah you're talking to a guy that has loads of points and you know does it make us spend more on the business man i sure hope not because those millions of miles are way more expensive than being able to spend less the the fact that the banks love it so much that's as my eighth grade uh you know as my eighth grade daughter would say that sounds a little sus you know yeah no it does yeah i I totally get where you're coming from and i think it is an interesting thing to consider um and i think you you make some good points and it's worth thinking about whether or not the we're being short-sighted in credit card usage and i think i think some people some a lot of people probably are and uh, but i want to know too about maybe your take on like a a bigger debt question like good debt versus bad debt some people would say we've had for instance michelle singletary who writes for the washington post who we respect a ton who's been writing about personal finance for decades mm-hmm. and she says there is no such thing as good debt and then other people would say oh my gosh you have a mortgage at two and a half percent and inflation's you know running hot yeah. at seven percent right now you better just hold on to that thing that thing's good for you do you have a take on that yeah i um it's a it's more of a personal take i um paid off my mortgage as fast as i could when i when we bought our first house and then we sold that house and we bought a more expensive house and I had a mortgage on that for a few years and paid. The, I just wanted to pay it off as fast as I could. So then I was sitting mortgage free with the first one. Sorry, I kind of jumped ahead. And we bought a townhome as like a rental. And so I had a, I put 50% down. This was back when real estate didn't cost you like your firstborn. This is like 2012 or something like that. And uh, so I got a mortgage on that and it was kind of my own, it was our only mortgage. And then I bought another townhome and I ended up with, with, four townhomes that were all over a period of years with very modest mortgages, totally cash flowing. At the end of the day, after we'd paid off our personal, or, you know, our second home that we had bought again, I still ended up just paying off those, even the real estate. So I just don't want to be stressed. Like I, yeah. and that's that it's worth so much to me. And I do benefit from a business that's profitable. And so it's not like I'm trying to make real estate my my livelihood where I'm really like, I got to eke out like real financial return from this. Um, And so in that instance, I can be more hand wavy about the financial upside to leverage. Um, But push comes to shove as far as personal goes. I just, I've never liked it. I feel like it, um, it messes with your decision-making in a real way and not in a good way. And so I like the idea of paying cash for stuff, saving up for things and uh, yeah, I just, I just never seen anyone say, you know, gosh, I really wish I were in more debt. I just, I just <laughs> never hear anyone uh, drop that line. So I, I guess I, I agree with your friend at the Washington Post. I don't really think that there's good debt. I think if a lot of people could own their home free and clear, they absolutely would, regardless of how crazy low, artificially low, like crazy low those interest rates are. Sure. I mean, that's yeah. that that in and of itself is a financial. Camaro almost how low they've been for you know it's like our age that you know I'm guessing we're all about the same age we we think it's normal to be at that rate you know two three four and that's nothing there's nothing normal about that it's just that it's all we've known for the last 20 years right? yeah we're even talking about oh I saw an article today interest rates are so high and it's curbing the housing market and it's like they're not high historically no. they're high compared to what we've experienced yeah, lately we just, over the past you know few years but they're not historically high they're they're still pretty low. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we were talking about, you know, YNAB specifically, the the software that you founded. How can folks learn more about YNAB? And I'm actually curious too, y'all specifically, you have a 34-day free trial. Uh, <laughs> so A, where can folks learn about YNAB? And B, why why is it a 34-day trial? Yeah, so the um, they can learn about it at YNAB.com. And uh, take classes, jump on YouTube, watch the videos. It's a different, it's a really different way of thinking about money. Uh, so I would hope that they wouldn't just be like, oh, I used to use Quicken, so I'll just replace it. Like it's different. And so you really want to make sure you see where the thinking is coming from and then look at how the tool integrates with that. As far as the 34 day trial, we want you to see how it works with a month rolling over. So no matter when you start, uh, if with a 34-day trial, you'll always have a month plus a little, 
to kind of see like, oh, I set aside money this month, that money is available next month, and they can start to see that rule two in action and things starting to, you know, cash starting to build up. It's liberating for people to see that. So yeah, 34-day trial all day long helps people kind of make that early connection on what it's going to be like to save up for stuff, you know, like save now, buy later instead of whatever we have. (laughs) Oh gosh, let's make that a trend. Let's let that catch on. Seriously. And, and, And it's always free for students too, right? Yeah, we, we give a free year for students. So okay. um, graduate student, high school student, and also we, we launched YNAB together. So if you're listening to this and and you're like, oh man, this would be great for me, but also for like my teenage kid, um, you can buy, you know, you buy a subscription, it's a hundred bucks a year. So it's, it's certainly reasonable, but then you can have, I think up to five other people. And we intend for this to be like family, you know, close family, but you could put your kids on it. You don't have to pay an extra subscription fee, things like that. Once your kid flies the nest, which you hope happens, they get the free year and then they can go off on their way. So honestly, we really want the kids to be hooked on this. Like we want them just to think, oh yeah, this is how you do money. You save up for Mm -hmm. stuff. You evaluate your priorities. You spend guilt-free. We want to check all those boxes for these kids. I love it. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, man. We really appreciated it. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Well, Joel, what a great conversation, man. Talking about something that is a fundamental building block when it comes to your personal finances. Yeah. Talking with Jesse about budgeting, but specifically YNAB, the software that he pioneered, that he founded. What was your big takeaway from our, our conversation with him today? Well, one, I feel like you love budgets more than you love me as your best friend. And so I feel like this was probably like your favorite episode of everything, all time. Everything he said, I was just like, yes. yes <laughs> I can yes. see you over there. You're just like, you're drooling a little bit I as he talked. It. Yeah, you're really it, into man. it. So no, I really appreciate every all the- Once he was diving into like the whole time, like the the time, space, money continuum. Oh man, I was, I was very well, much nerding it's, out it's over It's one here. of those things, I was going to say this, it's one of those things that it's hard for us to conceptualize, but software can help us actually understand how that's working and then make plans accordingly. Sure. But like our feeble human brains have a hard time with that, but the software actually really, I think, helps drive that home for people, which is something we need to wrap our minds around if we're going to, you know, save and invest effectively. But I think my big takeaway from this combo with Jesse, yeah, he said, knowing that you'll run out of money helps crystallize your priorities. And the reality is Mm -hmm. we're all going to run out of money at some point depends on how quickly depends on how much money we're making and how fast it's going out. But knowing that it's going to run out is going to help you crystallize those priorities. And so uh, what is it that is most important to you? It's all about trade-offs, right? And a lot of people look at look at our family and they're like, you guys, you guys are like, make enough money to afford two nice cars. What are you doing driving one old beat up <laughs> junky minivan? And it's like, we just don't care. But knowing that it's going to run out helps us crystallize our priorities and our priorities lie elsewhere. I, someone on Twitter today said, what if you just got a million dollars? What's one thing you would not upgrade? What's one thing you would not spend more money on? And I'm like, my car. I just don't care enough. And I would rather see that money go elsewhere. You'd think about the Rivian. But you wouldn't pull the trigger. Oh, I think about it. I'd <laughs> lustily look at pictures on the internet, but then after that, I would say no. And and so I just think that's really important for you to know because we all, everybody has limits, right? And there's only so many yachts that Jeff Bezos can even buy. Well, yeah. that's probably a bad example. But uh, <laughs> like we all are going to run out at some point. And so let that crystallize in your mind the positive ways that you can use your budget to funnel money towards the areas that really matter. Nice, man. I like that. Uh, mine has to do with how it is we, you spend as well. He was basically, at some point earlier, I don't know his exact words, but he said that essentially you, you shouldn't have any spending on your books that you feel guilty about. Mm. Essentially, everything that you spend money on, it should be something that you are maybe not necessarily excited about, but it shouldn't be something that you feel bad for doing. Uh, And that's because hopefully you have aligned how it is that you are spending your money with the ways that you want to spend your money. And so if there are ways that you don't want to spend your money, well, certainly it could have arisen from previous decisions that you made, maybe that were poor decisions. (laughs) So if you're making like credit card payments or payments towards something that you have changed your mind on, well, that might be a case where things aren't aligned, but that's because you made a, you know, you made a poor decision in in the past about pushing those expenses into the future as opposed to pushing. Which we've all done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As opposed to pushing your money into the future. Um, But yeah, I I think if you do have something in your life that you are spending on every single month, 
And not only is it not providing you you joy and it's not providing you value, but you feel like it's something that like like you have some sense of guilt associated with that. I would encourage folks out there to stop and to think, why is it that you feel that way? Because it can it might either be something super simple. It could be a practical reasons that, oh, well, this is a category maybe that we shouldn't be spending this money yeah. in in this way. And so not only is it can, can it be fixed in a very practical way in that you just change how it is that you're spending, but maybe it could lead to you taking some time to self-reflect and to think, why is it uh, that I don't, you know, that I don't feel great about how it is I'm, I'm spending my money in yeah. this way? Uh, I think it could potentially lead to change in, in both areas. But well, I like that, that you should not have any spending on your books that you feel guilty about. I love to, when he talked about the budget burn down, and it's this way yeah. to like completely reassess everything, because you might have just listened and you're like, big old reset. There's a bunch of stuff that I really want to do that I can't actually afford, but I got all these other old expenses laying around in my life. And if I could just cut a couple of those out, then maybe I could actually spend more money, money more freely on the things that I really actually care about. And so you might have three cars in your driveway and you're like, listen, <laughs> budget burn down. I'm going to sell one of them and I'm going to rent the other one out on tour. What if we only had one? Yeah. Wait a minute. Those are the kind of decisions. What if we had no cars? Yeah. But, it, but if you just, uh, there, there is that sort of thing that happens to all of us. Inertia bias. We start, we've done something, we kind of keep it going in perpetuity, but the budget burn down allows you to reassess everything. And I think that that can be helpful. You might not want to change a bunch of stuff, but you might, you might want to change a lot this year. So it's worth thinking about. All right, Matt, let's get back to the the beer that we had on this, uh, this episode. This was Igneous IPA by Hutton and Smith. What were your thoughts on this one? It's really good, man. This is a dry hopped IPA. These guys are out of Chattanooga and yeah, it was tasty. It was dry hopped. Oftentimes you expect some of those, I don't know, I guess I saw dry hopped and I saw the color of the can and I was expecting like a New England like dry hop beer, but it definitely was kind of more in that traditional IPA vein. Yes. Uh, and it had some uh, some of those sharper notes that you get from a dry hop beer. A little more piney, a little more bitter. Yeah, yeah, but not like over the top with like that West Coast resin. It still had some sweetness. It still had a, a malty backbone to it as well, but I definitely enjoyed it. What were your thoughts yeah. on this one? Similar. Basically, it tasted really like a classic IPA. It reminded me of Solid like beer. some of those old Sierra Nevada IPAs oh, that are just yeah. classics, but they don't make them like that very much anymore. Like the the tendency is toward the juicy haze bombs, and so this one it has that more those like more piney traditional bitter characteristics. Torpedo a little bit, but not over the top either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. I, I liked it. it. It's and it's nice to have a change up in IPAs because we do drink so many of those orange juice IPAs. Yeah, big juicy <laughs> ones. So it's fun to try something you know a little more old school. But. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll make sure to link to YNAB where you can learn more about you need a budget their budgeting software. You can find that link up in our show notes at howtomoney.com. Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. <laughs>